0: Connustí, how are ye? Welcome back to the Candle Tales podcast where we tell stories from Irish mythology and folklore and chat about them afterwards. In this series, The Thorn Mosaic, we're retelling this old story from loads of different perspectives. This series is a mosaic and I hope you're enjoying it and I hope this is not your first time listening because if you are, go back to episode 230 where we started this series. We're joining the tale at a very tragic point and where the boys' troop take up their arms. This podcast is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. We can thank them hugely, or if you want to join them, you can go to patreon.com for slash of Tales or you can make a one time donation on the PayPal button on our website, candletails.ie. Like, share, subscribe, do the things you want to do, tell your friends, or just sit back and enjoy. Now, we'll tell you a story.
1: To be the youngest son of five is to be always running, always reaching, always striving and always, always falling short. Behind older brothers, who are as distant as gods, as strong and tall as adults, but more mercurial. Quicker to play, quicker to anger and cruelty. Always above. Shining. Perfect. Heroes. Fulman was the youngest son of Crore MacNessa. And he loved his brothers. He wanted to be like them. He wanted to be liked by them. He wanted to be equal with them. And they were always so far ahead of him. So far above him. The years between them wide as a chasm that he couldn't quite jump over, no matter how much he tried. To be a king's son was to have a status. Because a king's son could stand to be elected as a king himself when he was grown. Some would follow a king's son for no other reason than that he was the son of a king. But Fulman knew that such would not be the case for his brothers. No, people would follow Nile, Nile with his golden hair, the spit of their father, every bit as clever as charismatic, as funny. People would follow Ferdrock. His skill in combat was different to Niles. He was good with the ranged weapons, with the slings and the light spears. He was so good. He was so quick-witted. He was so sure-footed. People would follow him for his skill. And people would follow Cuskrid for his speech, sweet and elegant and cutting when he needed it to be. And he sharpened that tongue at Fulman's expense more than once. Cuskrid for his wisdom and his speech, they would follow. Perhaps most of all of them, people would follow Cormac. Cormac had all the best qualities in all of Fulman's brothers combined. He didn't know why they would follow him. He always felt thick tongued and stupid next to Cuscrith. And he always felt shabby next to Nile. And he always felt his fingers fumble next to Ferdarok. He always felt alright next to Cormac. Somehow Cormac had a way of making you not think about your own lack when you were with him. Cormac had a way of being encouraging. of Kneeling down to talk to Fulman so that it seemed that he'd just happened to crouch. And they just happened, now, to be eye to eye. And he wasn't bending down. He wasn't looking down. This was just the most natural thing for him to do. And now it just so happened they were face to face and they could talk as if they were equals. And when he was young, in Fulman's eyes, all of his brothers were immortal and beautiful and terrifying and wonderful. But then there came the worst day. The day that the Crave Rua broke and the great red branch was sundered. The day that Cormac left and became the Prince in Exile. Fullman saw him leave. So many who left. Riding away from the smoke and the fires, battered and wounded. And he was sure in his heart that Cormac would look back, would look for him or call for him to come as well, but Cormac never turned around. He left Awen Maka in flames and he left his little brother broken-hearted. That was the worst day, until the next worst day, when Cusgrid rode out, splendid and shining, with all of his men following him, out to repel raiders on the border, led by Ket McMothock. But Cusgrid was brought back, wounded, throat torn open. And though the healers were able to save him from death, his voice was gone and mangled now till he could barely stammer out a word at a time and all his eloquence was robbed from him from that day on. Coscrith mend macha the stammerer of awan macha and no one with such a wound could be a king coscrith became a shadow of himself a ghost that still lived and breathed flitting about awan macha still a warrior but set apart now. Something of ill luck clinging to him always. No one would follow Cuscarus. Not now. And then there was the day that their father, Groor Macnessa rode out to raid a wedding. One of his great enemy's sons. And when he'd not come back after three days, Niall and Ferdorand both gathered their companies and Fulman remembered them. Setting out, so strong, his heart lifted in his chest to see them. And he felt a lump in his throat and his eyes sting, and he struggled to hold back the tears. In case they might mock him. He saw his brothers, gilded by the sunlight, riding out to the gates of Awan Maka. And they did not return. His father did. Klor came back wounded. Wounded and limping and on foot, with a tale of his duel with Maeve's son, Manya Morgor, and a tale much more brief and much less wonderful of how the Queen of Connacht came for vengeance, and Niall and Ferderuk put themselves between her and their father. And Maeve, with her flaming spear, killed one, and then the other. To be the last son of a great king left, with any prospects, was to be watched always. And Fulman found himself now at the centre of everyone's attention with his older brothers dead and maimed and gone and he training in the boys' troop hoping still to be a warrior someday who people might follow for some reason other than that he was the son of a great king but Fulman searched about him and within him for greatness and he found none he found only a boy who was too small and too slow and too weak beside his brothers when he was little he used to dream about riding out in his own chariot with all of his brothers around him riding to glory Coming back with spoils of war. Being embraced by his father. Being held up in front of everyone at Awan Maka. But now his dreams were bitter. In them he rode. In a chariot searching. Searching high and low. And sometimes he found Cormac. And sometimes they talked as if Cormac had never left. And sometimes they fought. And sometimes Fulman dreamed of himself beating his brother, smashing his face in with the flat of his shield, pummeling him with his fists. Screaming at him that he was wrong to have left. He should never have left them. In the days after those dreams he always felt sick and sad and lost still. To be a boy is to spend your life waiting for the day that you're a man. Wishing it would come sooner and come faster. Trying to find ways to speed it. But Fullman was not yet a man when the war for the brown bull broke out. Although he did not know it was about a brown bull All he knew was that the curse came down on Maka, as it had come before, and he was woken and all the boys were woken by the cries of pain, the screams that faded to whimpers. The drawn, anxious faces of their mothers and their aunts and their grandmothers as they hurried to and fro to tend the warriors whimpering in their beds. Fulman tried to keep the boys together. They were all gathered there at Auenmaka to be trained. But since Fergus McGroy, and Cormac, the exile, had left. Their training had been piecemeal. Whichever warrior had the time or the energy to train them would in dribs and drabs. So Fulman organised them into playing hurling. That was the game they always wanted to play. That was their favourite. Teams and tournaments, and that would keep them occupied. And that would keep their minds off things. They were all sleeping badly. Their dreams interrupted by the pained cries around them. When they dreamed at all, Fullman's dreams had taken on a strange cast. He still felt that feeling of searching. But now he was on foot, chasing after something that he could not grasp. And whenever he turned, whenever he felt he was about to see what he was chasing after, black feathers in front of his eyes would wake him up. He didn't know who suggested it first. It was a dangerous idea. It was a reckless idea, but it was the best idea that they had. And Fullman could not deny the thrill he felt when they decided to sneak out and see if they could spy on the army. They knew that Cú was out there somewhere. They knew that an army would not be hard to find. The size of the army they had not anticipated. It was bigger than any foeman had ever seen assembled at Awanmaca. Even when all of their allies, all of those foreign queens who used to come and fight with the Ulster men for love of Cú even when they were all in one place, his army was a vaster by far. And the boys stayed out of sight. But Kukulin was holding them alone. Their strange companion. He'd been with them. Only a few years before. Frustrating Fulman. Beating all of them together when he played them at Hurling. And here he was now, a hero. And they found a place where they could watch the Ford. And see his fights. And it was the best thing Fulman had ever seen. Cucullin was so quick. He was a joy to watch, his grace, his ferocity, his precision. The only thing about it was that the fights were over too soon. They barely had a chance to see anything when a head was lopped off and splashing into the ford. And then one frosty morning, Fulman was woken up. He's fighting Ferdia. his smile echoed the grin. This, this would be a fight. And it was. Oh, it was. And that first day, the chariots on either side of the river, racing up and down, even just seeing the horses race. leg driving one, Ibar the other, and Cú and Ferdia throwing those spears at each other so quick, so fast, so light, so... Direct on target But everyone deflected Everyone dodged Everyone about to hit And then at the last second Fulman had to clap his hands over his face A hundred times and more To stop himself from crying out From shouting From whooping From laughing And he could hear the boys beside him Restless wriggling Staring down with avid eyes Eyes wide and drinking in And then it was even better when night fell, they waded in, they embraced. There was no hard feelings. So how fighting should be. Give it everything, but don't take it so seriously. Not to take it to heart. To let it be what it was. Skill and strength and beauty and glory. And then shake hands at the end. The next day it was even more exciting. They waded in with the heavy spears. And it was thrust and parry and feint. And it was clash and smash and teeth gritted and ah, first blood. Fulman saw it run down Kukulin's arm and spiral out into the water like a cloud. But he's not hurt, Ferdia. How come he hasn't cut him yet? fardia's skin, Fulman said. He's got that thick skin. Can't cut him. Turned out you could, if you cut hard enough. And Cucullin did. And could. Well, that day was hard going. Fulman couldn't believe they were still standing. They were so bloodied. He could barely see skin on either of them. And they turned away from each other. And he felt a coldness in the pit of his stomach. He got there early on the third day and he'd been wanting to see the kinds of feats Cucullin could do. He hadn't thought about the kinds of feats Ferdia could do. He felt watching Ferdia's feet, the way he'd felt watching his brothers ride out from Maunmaca when he was young. Here was a man, a grown man. And he was a boy, a little boy. And if he tried every day for the rest of his life, he would never, ever catch up to that man. He didn't know if anyone could Ferdia's armour gleamed in the mist In the soft light of dawn Ferdia moved Graceful as a dancer Ferdia's balance and strength Like nothing Fulman had ever seen that last day the fighting it was like nothing any of them had seen Fullman had his hand on the arms of a boy on either side of him digging his fingers into their muscles as they dug their fingers into his clenching, gripping with such excitement because they could not cry out because they could not be found it was skill and it was dazzling And it was blow and it was defence and it was attack and it was counter and it was strike and it was dodge and it was faint and it was misdirect and then hit, oh, and then suddenly it was over. It was all over and Cucullin had a sword in his chest and Fulman felt the pit fall out of the bottom of his stomach and he was suddenly wrenched back to where he was. He and a few of his friends. Hidden in a thicket with a whole army on the other side of them and no one in between them. And then Kukulin moved. Impossibly he called out and he moved caught something with his foot and flicked it but Fulman was too far away to hear but someone else whispered a sticky bulk and they saw Ferdia fall and they saw Kukul and carry him but the call was staggering. And Fullman knew, even if he wasn't dead, their champion was out. And that feeling he'd had a second ago, that feeling was truth. because he and his friends were on a cold hillside, and there was nothing and no one between them and that army. They ran back to Aonmaca, scrambling and slipping, tripping over tussocks, the frost and the mud and their breath in the cold air, wide-eyed panting. And when Fulman and his friends got back, they came to the gates of Awenmaka, they saw the shining one standing there. Polar, more beautiful even than Fulman's brothers and Fulman's father. And all the boys were looking up at him with wide eyes. And he told them that they were men now. They would be glorious now. They would be warriors now. And he told them to take the swords and take the spears and take the shields from off the walls of the speckled house. And if Fulman had not seen what he'd just seen, he might have believed the words of the man from the other world, that they were riding to glory and not death. And Fulman learned then. He learned why boys would follow him. The gift that he had to lead them. Because he knew when he looked out at the faces of those boys wide-eyed and grubby, clutching weapons they could barely lift. He knew that he could tell them the truth about blood and pain and the cold ground waiting to suck the heat out of their bodies. And if he did that, they would still have to go. Because they were all that was left. The stranger had not lied about that. The man from the other world had been truthful as far as that went. He could tell them the truth, and steal their courage, and let them go to their deaths trembling and afraid. Or he could do what he did. He raised his sword. Above his head, his father's sword. That he'd just plucked from the wall. And he called out and he said, I, I'm going to kill Oliel al myself. And I'm going to bring his head back and hang it on the wall. And as they raised their voices, in a high, ragged cheer, Fullman understood he would have been a great leader. He had such a talent for lying.
0: There it is. the fields. On the Coolie Peninsula, stretching out long and wide, the hills above, the sea coming, crashing below. These fields, empty. Tracks leading out the way, and we follow them, and around the hillock, there, there's the brown bull. After leaving his own home, gone around the corner to try and, was he hiding? (laughs) Hardly. The size of the beast What a brute Even from far away you can tell It's head and shoulders above any beast Any beast like it We get close And by god ten men could jump up On top of the red eyed brute If they were even brave enough Now we make loud noises Cawing, whooping and Driving them off in one direction Not getting in front of him but Banging to the one side We split up and bang into the other side and keep him hending, drive him on, drive him through. We might get him back to Connacht after all, before the Ulstermen wake up. What's that noise? Thunder rolling. We'd best be on our way.